Hi, I'm Dane Shiner. And I'm J.V. Hampton Van Sant. And welcome to Wannabe Film Buffs. Where we watch all the movies that we somehow managed to miss until now. Welcome back, everybody. Why, hello. Yes. Yay. Okay. We are recording from our respective quarantines. <laughs> Why, Yes. I am recording from a tiny closet, and um, and by tiny closet I mean it's my closet recording studio. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, so this is also our our second attempt at this because now we are recording via ZenCaster, which did a weird thing. Yes, um, a second ago, and hopefully this one does not do a weird thing. We uh huh. God God willing and the creek don't rise, this one doesn't do anything fucking weird. Okay. Um Okay. So they were uh talking about twelve angry men and yes. y'all are getting Yes, and y'all oh are getting boy. a twofer. Uh, because there were two versions of this that were made. There was the nineteen fifty seven version, uh, which is the one that is actually on the top two fifty. This one is number five on that list, I believe. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's the original one that's on there. And then there's a made for TV movie that came out in 1997 with a very 1997 cast, but we'll get to that. Ah, yes. Tony (laughs) Nanza. I, (laughs) there were like fully people that I haven't thought about since like maybe at the, early like at the like earliest that i've thought about them like 2005 (laughs) (laughs) oh man and some of those for sad reasons that i haven't thought about them since then but we'll get there oh yes um yeah and also a person i straight up didn't recognize but again we'll get there okay Um, so (laughs) so we got uh we got 12 angry men it was released in 1957 uh director uh sydney Lume, Lume, Lumet, <laughs> Lume, probably. something that sounds and looks French. Yeah. Um, screenplay uh, is by Reginald Rose, who wrote the TV play, then stage play, then movie. Uh, it is number five on IMDb's top 250, and it was nominated for three Oscars. It lost all of them. Mm. That's sad, uh, but I can understand why. Uh, best picture, uh, best director, and best adapted screenplay, all won by uh, The Bridge and the River Kwai. Which is a thing I have never heard of in my fucking life. I but have right. heard of it. Oh. And huh? that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, this is our first movie that is shot in black and white, and I have a feeling we're going to see a couple more of those on this list. Oh, you um, mean the next movie on this list after Twelve Angry Men? Oh shit, is that also in black and white? Well, in fairness, yeah. you've watched it and I haven't yet. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's yeah, Schindler's List is shot in black and white. Oh well, shit, I didn't know that. And that one, but that one's also considerably more recent, isn't it? Yeah, it's ninety-three, I think. Yeah, exactly. So that one was by choice. Yes, it that was. was yeah. <laughs> that one wasn't shot in color by choice. This one, I'm not so sure. Though I feel like, wait, when did... Okay, actually, um, when did... Uh, you know, I'm going to figure this out real quick. 
Wizard of Oz. No, nope. okay. okay, so Wizard of Oz was 1939. So they had color film, everybody. So it was a choice. <laughs> it was a stylistic choice. Which I think works for this, but I don't know. Yeah. In any case, um, this movie is... We'll we'll get to that. We're we're doing a new little format thing, y'all. Um, so now we're gonna dive into the uh, synopsis, um, yes. and the synopsis is from the IMDb website. So I do not have to stop the movie that I am watching every five seconds to write a plot point. Yep. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, those days are gone. Those days are gone fantastically no yes um oh um expectations going in oh fuck yeah you're right um so my expectations were um no color because i saw a brief second of the film before i started doing this um and i think i meant i meant that as in um no people of color but i also had (laughs) forgotten that i'd seen the play (laughs) <laughs> okay like i forgot that i saw the play but also we'll get to that when we talk about things at the end but um i expected that and i expected toxic masculinity more because <laughs> the title. there's tw- yeah, exactly like truly because of the title that's what i expected and then some lawyer fuckery in somewhere in there maybe I don't think I got lawyer fuckery, actually. Uh, no, this was not really a lawyer type of drama, which I am really happy about because I know nothing about law. <laughs> like, at all. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, with this, like, all you really need to know about, like, the American legal system is the very basics of it. Um, the basics being that a person is innocent until proven guilty. Okay. And that... Um, and reasonable doubt um, as to guilt is the only requirement for labeling somebody not guilty. Okay. And what what is defined as reasonable is decided by the jury. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Which I think puts the entire film into perspective. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In like three sentences. And but yeah, that's... why everyone is so damn mad at this one guy. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man. All right, let's dive in. Oh yeah, what are your what were your expectations going in? Uh, my expectations were to not get it. Because <laughs> it was law. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Whew. I told All you right. it was gonna be my episode to shine anyway. Yay. <laughs> Woo! Um, all right, so let's get started on this synopsis. All right. So, in a New York City courthouse, an 18-year-old boy from a slum is on trial for allegedly stabbing his father to death. Final closing arguments have been presented. A visibly bored judge instructs the jury to decide whether the boy is guilty of murder. If there is any reasonable doubt of his guilt, they are to return a verdict of not guilty. The judge further informs them that a guilty verdict will be accompanied by a mandatory death sentence. The jury retires to a private room, where the jurors spend a short while getting acquainted before they begin deliberating. It is immediately apparent that the jurors have already decided that the boy is guilty, and they plan to return their verdict without taking time for discussion, with the sole exception of Juror 8. 
played by Henry Fonda, who is the only not guilty vote in the prime in the preliminary tally. He explains that there is too much at stake for him to go along with the verdict with at without at least talking about it first. His vote annoys the other jurors, especially juror number seven, Jack Warden, who has tickets to see a baseball game that evening, and juror number 10, Ed Begley, who believes that people with slum backgrounds are liars, wild, and dangerous. The rest of the film's focus is the jury's difficulty in reaching a unanimous verdict. While several of the jurors harbor personal prejudices, Juror 8 maintains that the evidence presented in the case is circumstantial and that the boy deserves a fair deliberation. He calls into question the accuracy and reliability of the only two witnesses to the murder, the rarity of the murder weapon, a common switchblade of which he has an identical copy, and the overall questionable circumstances. He further argues that he cannot in good conscience vote guilty when he feels there is reasonable reasonable (laughs) doubt of the boy's guilt. Having argued several points and gotten no favorable response from the others, Juror 8 reluctantly agrees um, that reluctantly agrees that he has only succeeded in hanging the jury. Instead, he requests another vote, this time with a secret ballot. He proposes that he will abstain from voting, and if the other 11 jurors are still unanimous in a guilty vote, then he will acquiesce to their decision. The secret ballot is held, and a new not guilty vote appears. This earns intense criticism from juror number three, who blatantly accuses juror number five. Um, juror number three is Lee Lee J. Cobb, um, and juror number five is Jack Klugman, um, who had grown up in a slum of switching out of uh, uh, sorry of switching out of sympathy toward slum children. However, juror number nine, played by Joseph Sweeney reveals that he himself changed his vote, feeling that juror number eight's points deserve further discussion. Juror eight presents a convincing argument that one of the witnesses, an elderly man who claimed to have heard the boy yell, I am going to kill you shortly before the murder took place, could not have heard the voices as clearly as he had testified due to an elevated train passing by at the time, as well as stating that I am going to kill you is often said by people who do not literally mean it. Juror 5 changes his vote to non-guilty. Soon afterward, Juror 11, played by George Voskovec, questions whether it is reasonable to suppose the defendant would have fled the scene, having cleaned the knife of fingerprints but leaving it behind, and then come back three hours later to retrieve it, having been left in his father's chest. Juror 11 then changes his vote. Juror 8 then mentions the man's second claim. Upon hearing the father's body hit the floor, let the bodies hit the floor. Sorry, oh I had to. Oh my god. Anyway, I'm a terrible person. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> he had to run to the door of the apartment and seen the defendant running out of the building from his front door in 15 seconds. Jurors 5, 6, and 8 question whether this is true as the witness in question had had a stroke, limiting his ability to walk. Upon the end of the experiment, the juror finds it would have that the witness 
would not have made it to the door in enough time to actually see the killer running out. Juror 8 concludes that, judging from what he claims to have heard earlier, the witness must have merely assumed it was the defendant running. Juror number three, (laughs) growing more (laughs) irritated throughout this process, explodes in a rant. He's got to burn. He's slipping through our fingers. Juror eight takes him to task, calling him a self-appointed public avenger and a sadist, saying he wants the defendant to die because of a personal desire rather than the facts. Juror three shouts, I'll kill him and starts lunging at Juror 8, but is restrained by Jurors 5 and 7. Juror 8 calmly retorts, You don't really mean you'll kill me, do you? Proving his previous point. Jurors 2, played by John Fielder, and 6, played by Edward Benz, also decide to vote not guilty, tying the vote at 6-6. to Soon after, a rainstorm hits the city, apparently postponing the baseball game for which Juror 7 has tickets thus allowing him to relax and pay attention with that schedule pressure relieved. Juror number four, played by E.G. Marshall, continues to state that he does not believe the boy's alibi, which was being at the movies with a few friends at the time of the murder because the boy could not remember what movie he had seen um, when questioned by police shortly after the murder. Juror number eight explains that being under emotional stress can make you forget certain things and tests how well juror number four can remember events of the previous days. Juror number four remembers with some difficulty um, the events of the previous five days and juror points out that um, he had not been under emotional stress at the time. Thus, there was no reason to think that the boy should have been able to remember the particulars of the movie he claimed to have seen. Juror 2 calls into question the prosecution's claim that the accused, who was 5 feet 7, was able to inflict the downward stab wound found in his father, who was 6'2". Jurors 3 and 8 conduct an experiment to see if it's possible for a shorter person to stab downward into a taller person. The experiment proves the possibility, but Juror 5 then explains that he had grown up amidst night fights in his neighborhood and shows, through demonstrating the correct use of a switchblade, that no one so much shorter than his opponent would have held a switchblade in such a way to stab downward, as the grip would have been too awkward and the act of changing hands too time-consuming. Rather, someone that much shorter than his opponent would stab underhanded at an upwards angle. This revelation augments the certainty of several of the jurors in their belief that the defendant is not guilty. Increasingly impatient, juror number seven changes his vote so that the deliberation may end, which earns him the ire of jurors three and eleven, both on opposite sides of the discussion. Juror eleven, an immigrant who has reported that uh, sorry, <laughs> Jesus. Juror eleven, an immigrant who has repeatedly displayed strong patriotic pride, presses juror seven hard about using his vote frivolously. And eventually, Juror 7 admits how he truly believes, or admits now, truly believes that the defendant is not guilty. The next jurors to change their vote are Jurors 12, played by Robert Weber, and the Jerry Foreman, played by Martin Balsam, making the vote 9 to 3 and leaving only 3 dissenters, Jurors 3, 4, and 10. 
Outraged at how the proceedings have gone, Juror 10 goes into a rage on why people from the slums cannot be trusted, of how they are little better than animals who gleefully kill each other off for fun. His speech offends Juror 5, who turns his back to him, and one by one, the rest of the jurors start turning away from him. Confused and disturbed by his reaction to his diatribe, Juror 10 continues on a steadily fading voice and manner, slowing to a stop with, listen to me, listen. Juror 4, the only man still facing him, tersely responds, I have. Now sit down and don't open your mouth again. As Juror 10 moves to sit in a corner by himself, Juror 8 speaks quietly about the evils of prejudice, and the other jurors slowly resume their seats. When those remaining in favor of a guilty vote are pressed to why they still maintain um, that there is no reasonable doubt, Juror 4 states his belief that despite all the other evidence being called into question, the fact remains that the woman who saw the murder from her bedroom, um, from her bedroom window across the street, through a passing train, still stands as solid evidence. After he points this out, Juror 12 changes his vote back to guilty, making the vote 8 to 4. Then Juror 9, after seeing Juror 4 rub his nose, which is being irritated by his eyeglasses, realizes that, like Juror 4, the woman who allegedly saw the murder had impressions on the sides of her nose, which she rubbed, indicating that she wore glasses, but did not wear them to court out of vanity. Juror 8 cannily asks Juror 4 if he wears his eyeglasses to sleep, and Juror 4 admits that he does not wear them. Nobody does. Juror 8 explains that there was thus no logical reason to expect that the witness happened to be wearing her glasses while trying to sleep, and he points out that on her own evidence, the attack happened so swiftly that she would not have had time to put them on. After he points out, jurors 12, 10, and 4 all change their vote to not guilty. At this point, the only remaining juror with a guilty vote is juror 3. Juror 3 gives a long and increasingly tortured string of arguments, ending with rotten kids... You work your life out. Um, this leads to, on an emotion. Ah, this lead. Ah, wow. I keep saying leads and it's, <laughs> the word is bills. Jesus. Anyway, <laughs> this builds on a more emotionally ambivalent earlier revelation that his relationship with his own son is deeply strained and his anger over the fact that the main reason he wants that. Oh. Over this fact is the main reason that he wants the defendant to be guilty. Juror 3 finally loses loses his temper and tears oh sorry and tears up a photo of himself and his son and then suddenly breaks down crying and changes his vote to not guilty, making the vote unanimous. As the jurors leave the room, juror 8 helps the distraught juror 3 with his coat in a show of compassion. The film ends with the friendly jurors 8, Mr. Davis, and 9, Mr. McArdle, exchange names, and all the jurors to send the courthouse steps to return to their individual lives, never to see each other again. Note, there is no indication, um, nor is the question ever answered, if the teenage boy really is guilty or not. Instead, the film makes it clear that this is outside the question... Um, Sorry, that this is outside the question if the jurors cannot be certain that he is guilty. If there is reason 
Yeah. If there is any reasonable doubt, they must acquit him. So. Yes. That's our synopsis. Um, mm-hmm. So, okay. Um, our next section is, um, so fun facts and flubs, I think is next, right? I believe so. Yeah. So at for fun facts, um, don't really have a whole lot of them. Um, and there weren't actually a whole lot of flubs. Um, this movie seemed to do fairly well. Um, as far as like not flubbing is concerned, I'm just gonna quickly pull up uh the thing. Um hmm. Oh, well what I can say is in the nineteen ninety-seven one, there were only four flubs. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking with this one, the list is probably roughly about similar. Um, like there were a couple just sort of technical ones that like couldn't be helped because of, um, whatchamacallit, uh, ones that just sort of couldn't be helped because like of the time period. Yeah. Yeah. Like the list, um, on IMDb says that there are 30 of them, um, and most of them are do continuity errors but like continuity errors in like that one person had something in one hand and then like Uh, in the next scene it was in another hand which is just general things that would happen in the olden days of filming when Mm -hmm. um you know when it's pre-digital and you can't really make those edits pretty quickly Mm -hmm. um and also none of these errors were like giant errors that would have taken you out of the film yeah except for one and this is one of my big notes um, as far as like a thing that is absolutely illegal and would never happen. Mm-hmm. So here is the thing. Oh, and actually it is listed here. It's listed as a factual error. Henry Fonda's venturing out to buy his own copy of the knife is is not considered proper behavior for a jury and could easily have gotten him ejected if the judge had learned about it. In fact, they actually in the movie mentioned that it is illegal that him owning that knife is illegal. Now, while owning that knife isn't necessarily illegal in every single state, the fact that he went out... Oh, actually, it... Shit. It says it again later in another one, which is that um, this was jury misconduct. Like, that that in particular was misconduct to go out and do that. Um, also, for him to just actively go and just stroll out... Um, into like the world especially near where everything occurred yeah yeah that is illegal that is Uh, not a mm -hmm. is it illegal for uh, one of the jurors also happens to be the guy who would be operating the electric chair um because that is 100 percent a big point in this juror three the guy who's adamantly wants him to be guilty is one of his executioners Oh no, that was a that was a metaphor. That that was being metaphorical. That was a like that was more of a you would you would want to see him condemned to death like immediately. You just want him to die. That I was mean, what oh, they meant. He's although he said in dialogue that he is one of the people operating the chair. Did he? When did he say that? Um, Shit, I don't remember. God, it was it was this line of dialogue like it went really quick. It's like who are you? His executioner, and he says one of them. Yeah. Oh, I I still feel like that is metaphorical. I've always read that line as metaphorical. I like don't it, think in so. even when I heard it in the cuz it was in the play to clarify, 
there are a couple of differences actually in between this movie and the 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 nineteen fifty seven one and the nineteen ninety seven one. Mm-hmm. One of which is diversity. Um, oh yes. <laughs> And between that and the play that I saw in, I can only imagine it was like 2014, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, in that one, there were several female jurors on that cast. Oh, so which... was it 12 angry jurors? Exactly. Like, that's functionally what it what it was. Um, okay. And I have to say, uh, juror number, um, fuck, what was it? Juror number 10, I think. Uh, who was he in the... The racist one? The racist one? Oh, yeah, that was 10. Yeah. Okay. So, juror number 10, um, that one was played by... Was played by... (laughs) Was played by a white girl, and that scene always plays out in such a way where I'm like, oh, my God. That plays like a suburban middle-aged white woman saying that on a rant. Honestly, that's why when I saw that play, that is the part that stuck out to me the most. This is actually prior to me being a nerd about law. And I saw it and I fucking loved the production. Um, I believe I saw it at Mount Greylock, actually. But like, that's not really the point here. By which I mean, I definitely saw it at Mount Greylock, but (laughs) that's fine. Um, Like, it was really fucking good. And I remembered from there just being like, I don't know, just specifically that one sequence. And I suppose now we've moved a little bit into opinions. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I, what we were going to go towards anyway. <laughs> yeah, we had just transitioned naturally. So um, should we do first the original and then the remake? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My big, like, big sort of moment of, like, my big thing that I like the most is that whole sequence um, where, like, juror number 10 starts throwing that fucking fit and then everybody just literally stands up and turns their back on that man, except for number four, who is just like, bitch, shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> and just like, oh, God, which literally just, like, breaks that man's brain and he just, like, goes and sits in a corner and is yeah. like, just... <laughs> I don't know why that's so fucking funny to me. Yeah. Like, or specifically his reaction to it is funny to me. <laughs> where he just like, fuck. Like just sort of sits and like basically like is just, oh God. I don't know. But that I find I find that to be very um found that to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um and I always that that scene is always really interesting to me. And that one juxtaposed to the one to that same scene in um the nineties in nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. Um well the main difference there is that one of them is just a like your average white dude just saying it in the fifties one, which like made it feel more radical yeah. that the whole group would have stood up and said something. Yeah. Um yeah, whereas in the '97 one, it is uh, it it it's it's a black man who says that. Um, yeah, which <laughs> had there were that gave me some feelings. Um, one because I'm gonna be real. Uh, that like there are just large swaths of like the um black community that would say that. Like so, mm. while like. I mean, I don't want to necessarily get into the definition of 
like racism, like the 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 sociological one that involves um a basic equation of power, privilege, and also prejudice. Um, like that that's sort of the equation that equals sort of racism in a more systemic way. Um however, um that sort of bigoted opinion um is it is a thing that I have heard before in a lot of places, um, including like right now about the coronavirus and everything and like as much as a lot of people would like to think that it is solely like ignorant like white people that are accusing um that are accusing i don't know like random asian people on the street of like being the reason coronavirus exists um yeah yeah like as much as we would like to assume that that is a white thing that is that is in fact a thing happening from a lot of people yeah including people of color which is why this that sequence i was like no that's that's not unrealistic like this is not an unrealistic thing um for them to have done it that way it just like it just i don't know it was also the fact that juror number four was still white yeah um and so that line that line being the same still like that felt weird that part felt weird but other than that everything i was like yeah no that's still powerful as fuck i just i mean i don't know how i necessarily feel about like everything everybody was doing but i also would have like i don't know that kind of sequence is important too because a lot of the other arguments like in the beginning of the movie are simply based on on um racism and anti-immigrant sentiments mm-hmm. um yeah, like or um or ageism, I guess, is another one because most of them are like at an age where like um it's just sort of looking down at ah kids today. Like, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, which I don't know. I, I found that fascinating to have like a more of a variety in the cast that was later and that it changes the vibe of the whole thing. Um including adding a couple lines here and there in that in the later one that I thought were interesting. But yeah, so my general opinion of it is oof. Oh, fuck, one more opinion. Um mm-hmm. which is I feel like this movie should be shown um to juries pre-trial. True. Like pre-deliberations because it, it sort of highlights like there's at least there are several lines that just sort of highlight every issue that the court system has, mm-hmm. but also shows the issues that jury members have, but also shows the power that jury that juries can have in a trial. Um, because functionally, if a jury like if the jury goes back in and they say not guilty. Functionally, what has to happen there is that this um, this child goes free. That's yeah. it, like that. That's it. It's it's done. He goes free. That's that's all. I'd also if like to make. Say, a, oh, mm-hmm. sorry. Uh, I just like to make a point. Uh, I, ha- yeah. I actually pulled up the Twelve Angry Men script. Yeah. Um, and it's um, let's see. We're letting him slip through our fingers. Our fingers. Are you his executioner? And number three, I am one of them. Oh, I mean, yeah. I still 
I don't know. Whatever. I still feel like it's a metaphor. Mainly because, like, because it, it, it would be unethical. That is one thing. And that would always have been unethical. But, like, it doesn't. I also can think of several cases, but they were primarily in the South and had to do with Black people, where that would have been an issue. Oh, also, Christine just texted me. That's fun. Well, texted yeah. all of us, but anyway. <laughs> Sorry, that, like, weird little popping noise was because of that. But, um... Anyway, yeah, like I that would have been that would have been an unethical thing to do and was unethical back then, even during that time. But like in a in a small town, it wouldn't be like in a in a small town, it would be a thing that like might still happen. I think we're meant to assume based on where they are and based on like this, the looks that we get outside the window. I think we're meant to believe that they're in a more metropolitan area. Okay. So in a metropolitan area, I think reasonably we could assume that they wouldn't do that. Um, I I think it was a metaphor for like, I were like, as in like technically then they would all be his executioners in that mm-hmm. they're deciding whether or not he lives or dies. Oh, True. Yeah, that's sort of what it's referring to. It is pretty um, ambiguous how they put it. Yeah. Yeah. And like it's it's uh it's a it's a it's a powerful line, but it um <laughs> it's a powerful line. It can be confusing, but yeah. Um I still the, think it's literal because yeah. It could be. I mean honestly, with yeah. how that dude was talking and his general vibe. That would make sense. Give me one second. I'm just going to yeah. pause. I'm just going to... I'm going to mute our group chat real quick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just have everything on Do Not Disturb on uh, on recording base. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, like, ultimately, I have it open mainly because that was how I saw your message before. Yeah. Um, so, like, if anything goes wrong in the chat, like, that's where I will see the message. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so, I... Yeah. So I have it on. All right. So I have our like two my two things where people talk to me on mute. So that's fine. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. So that's yeah. Um. But yeah, I think um showing this to people um would it would help make sure that like people get it. Yeah. That like people understand that this is a fucking significant ass thing and they need to take it seriously. Yeah. And also that they need to evaluate everything mm-hmm. and not just take like take like or like you can just take things at face value, um, but also you probably shouldn't because of all the reasons that they lay out here. Yeah. Um, especially when they're like this lawyer um isn't getting paid for this, so like <laughs> this lawyer's not getting paid for this. Why the fuck should he give a shit about like whether or not this happens? Yeah, right. <laughs> and like, yeah, like, and that, like that, that in of itself is a fact that I like was so happy that got brought up because that is true. Like, um, not to say that like every juror that does these pro bono cases like is gonna just not give a shit, but like it, it is true that it doesn't take priority for them. Because, like that man said, it's not going to bring any acclaim or glory, and it sure as hell isn't going to, like, make him um, be viewed favorably by the general public. 
yeah no people like hate defense attorneys um especially ones that do a good job so, but then also they'll they'll see like oh the 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 defense attorney didn't even like put effort into like his case so he must be guilty because that's what the defense attorney thought ah uh, gotcha as if like that as if like well first of all what that is to me and this again opinion section what that says to me is that that particular um person in charge of that jury or sorry in tra- in charge of the defense is just bad at their job. <laughs> like you are supposed to believe that there either that your client is not guilty or that there is some form of reasonable doubt um for like if they did do it there is a reason. Yeah. And that reason might make it not illegal or something like that. Like I forgot <laughs> I could, I wish I could quote my friend Jessa who like talked to me about it one time, but I like mm-hmm. don't remember. Um, but it, uh, yeah, like by and large, if to be good at what you do, you have to like believe in your client. Yeah. And any level of belief will have gotten somebody to do more work than what, um, more work than what was happening. But if it's a publicly appointed like person, they're not really like, they're not getting paid for it. They have no motivation to actually do it. So they are probably not going to do a great job. Yeah. Yeah. Just a sort of issue with our legal system. Have you ever done jury duty? Uh, no. I, the one time I was summoned for jury duty, uh, it got like canceled three days before. Huh, or at least not. It got canceled. Like I was not required. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, the day I, I've had to do it one time, and I was not quite excited about it. Like, ultimately, the, well, I feel fine revealing this little bit of information as it doesn't, <laughs> like, it's not going to, like, influence anybody at all, because it's not like that went, it didn't even go to, like, like, the trial sort of began, and then it immediately stopped, because the judge, like, looked at, like, one line like one line and like one piece of evidence that said like, yeah, um, we hadn't notified her yet about her, um, about her driver's license being suspended. Hmm. And because of that, like, we can't then like, we can't then like send her to prison because like, she didn't know that. And it was an emergency situation. Um, which is functionally what that trial was about. So they're like, oh, well, if we didn't tell her, then she had no way of knowing that. So we can't like hold her to at, hold her to task for this. So we basically just have to let her go Um, is functionally what happened. And that was like, so I was there for half a day and then I went home. Huh. Well, to be honest with you, I got Burger King because it was the one in Pittsfield. <laughs> and I just went to that Burger King and then left and went home. <laughs> 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 but yeah, like that was that was it. Like. Doing jury duty, um, well, first of all, to all our listeners out there, do fucking, do, when you get called, do it and go, because it's important. Like, it's just an important thing. Our legal system cannot do what it needs to do without, without a jury, without a jury present, um, and it's ne- it's not always going to be that you're called for like a murder trial or whatever um but like people always be trying to get out of jury duty and then be mad that like somebody like 
and then be mad that like what happened in the trial wasn't the way they wanted it to go. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't. That's not how that works. Like, you, <laughs> if you're mad about the result of the trial that you could have been a jury member on, <laughs> but you opted to be like, um, I can't do it because I have to like, like I or like. I don't know. Like it's when people make shit up to like get out of jury duty that bothers me. Yeah. Like somebody who like has never had any issue with like guns or whatever is suddenly on a case involving guns and suddenly they're like I um have strong opinions about this and I'm like girl, no you don't. Girl, what? <laughs> like that's not like uh it's dumb, but like ultimately it's just it's a it's our civic duty much like voting. Um, and I just feel like it, I feel it, 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 okay. If one can take off work and that is a thing that you can do and you, you're not like in charge of children or something and you like have to have to be there that day and you can't find a sitter, something like that. Like things like that are fine. (laughs) But like, other than that, just go do it. 90% of the time they're going to strike you off the jury anyway. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not everybody like gets on a jury that whole process is fucking insane too but like uh and that was actually the second one i had done that day the first one involved embezzlement and i was a little mad that i didn't get to sit through that one <laughs> i don't know embezzlement's interesting yeah yeah um Anyway, so, so my opinions. What did you <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> as someone who is not a legal buff, um, I'm glad that this was a story that was more like civilian and jury based and not all lawyery and shit, because I would have just fell asleep for the first 10 minutes and then never woke up. <laughs> um, <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Fair. Um, Fair yeah, indeed. Um, it was a really cool premise. Um, and then that. And uh, the playwright took full advantage of an interesting premise and just really flushed it out. And I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So remake opinions. Oh, well, first, should we, are we going to rate the original and remake separate? Um, well, I guess we can do both of them at the end. Like okay. we can just, we'll say both of them at the end. Um, cool. All right. So remake. I a little bit wanted to uh, name the people in um in the 1997 uh one oh sure let me just pull up the thing okay here we go try to get the notes up um so a lot of the jurors that are in that were in this are absolutely dead um oh yeah (laughs) which um (laughs) it's just that's sad but i feel like it's it's um I don't know. It's not necessarily an important fact. It is just simply a fact. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I'll I'll go through the like the actual cast first, and then I'll uh, sure. mention the uh, yeah. So jur the jury foreman uh, was played by Courtney B. Vance, uh, a black person. I would like to point out. Um, o. C. Davis played juror number two, also a black person. Uh, George Michael Scott, or George Michael, what? George C. Scott. Jesus, there's no Michael there. I think it's just that the next person has like a M in their middle name. 
And that's what fucked me up. Anyway, whatever. George C. Scott was juror number three. Armin Mueller-Stahl was juror number four. Dorian Harwood um, was juror number five, also a black person. James Gandolfini, uh, which again, a person I did not recognize and absolutely the fuck should have. Uh, I was embarrassed that I I didn't. I truly (laughs) didn't recognize him at all. Um, But he was juror number six. Tony Danza was juror number seven. Jack Lemon was juror number eight. Hume Crine... Human... Hume Cronin, I think? Hume Cronin, I think is what I'll go with, um, was juror number nine. Uh, Mikkel T. Williamson was juror number 10. Edward James Olmos was juror number 11. And William Peterson was juror number 12. Um, so of the ones that are dead, <laughs> um, that's jurors number two, three, six, eight, and nine are all deceased. Um, and this was actually the moment that I realized that James Gandolfini uh, died. I, I didn't know that. Oh, I you didn't know that? Up didn't, no, I did not know that at all. I didn't know it was in 2013, but apparently it was in 2013. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, juror number two died in 2005, which I thought was sad. Uh, juror number three died two years after this movie. Oh, wow. Which, whew. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, a lot of them went on to do some like wildly cool shit, which I thought was cool, just sort of actor wise. Um mm-hmm. There's, like, <laughs> documented moments where I sort of realize that, like, um, where that, like, certain people are, we're going to see them again. For example, a juror number 10, we're going to see him in, again when we get to Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know who he is in Forrest Gump. I just know he's in Forrest Gump. <laughs> uh, is the, ex- do you know if the Exorcist is on this list? I don't know. I hope it is. Uh, because if so, we are going to get the original uh, Juror 3 on that one, Lee J. Cobb. Oh, shit, really? Also, fun fact, the director of the remake is also the director of The Exorcist. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Um, there is a moment where I realized that James Gandolfini was, um, was in Sopranos, and that... Um... <laughs> He was, yeah, he was, he was the main guy. Yeah, <laughs> that moment was halfway through this movie. I didn't. I've never even seen The Sopranos, and I know who James Gandolfini is and what he. Was I like. haven't either, and I knew I knew that man looked familiar, but like for some reason, I just couldn't place where he was from. Okay, like you know what I mean. Like that, I had that issue with Tony Danza too. I just didn't know. Like I was like, that motherfucker looks familiar. I don't remember. I don't really know who that is, but. Looked familiar. And actually, same with Edward James Olmos. Um, and where I know him from <laughs> is that he played Selena's dad in Selena. <laughs> okay. The, the movie about the singer. The one who was killed by a member of her fan club. Wait, what? Uh, yeah. No, Selena... Selena... Um, Quintanilla, I think is her name. Yeah, she was a singer in um in the like eighties and very early nineties, I think. And uh she was murdered by her 
by a member by a person in her fan club um it was very sad and she like did a lot and changed like music like she changed music for latin america and like a lot of latin uh latinx people um like go up for her and still do and Cool. I low-key a little bit do too, honestly. Which is why I was annoyed I didn't recognize this fucking man. <laughs> I'm like, this man looks familiar, but I don't know why. And it's because I, like, he, yeah. He was good too. Um, I thought it was interesting having um a juror in that one who was also um Latinx. Because it, it's, it's sort of mentioned, it's sort of like, like we're shown the um the victim in the first one or not victim sorry the uh the accused in the first one yeah and we are shown him in the second one too but mm-hmm. like um it's uh we we don't see um in in the first in, in the first one the uh one who was an immigrant was um an eastern european immigrant mm-hmm. whereas in the in um 97 it's played by um a latin american um a latin american immigrant uh yeah which is just it it changes a couple things like the way they did this changed a couple things it made um that whole thing with juror number five and him growing up in a slum Mm -hmm. like it made that whole situation and the like accusatory shit that people said about that like it made that feel more pointed and fucked up yeah yeah um um so um what did you think of the remake i fucking loved it yeah um while it was the same story i think um the acting was a lot better in the remake yeah 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 i think that might have to do with style though true with like just acting styles i think being different in 40 years time yeah (laughs) <laughs> that's just funny as a thought um, like, oh no it's 40 years later maybe the craft change <laughs> <laughs> but no I like I think that that I I didn't connect a lot to the acting in the first one but also like the acting in the second one like as the plot didn't really change for the second one nah. we got like one added scene yeah and it was like a brief moment that was less than a minute long mm-hmm. like so I think the acting style that like we got in the f- first one was basically just people talking fast <laughs> um, as they did back then. Um, and then in the next one, like people's acting like was, was given more time. Yeah. Um, which I thought was nice. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh, um, I thought it was an interesting decision to cast Juror 8 a roughly the same age as 3 in the remake. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I don't, I liked it a lot because it felt like it, I don't know. It feels like when you just look at the play, like it just sort of, it equalizes both of them. Yeah. In a way, like, and sort of illustrates that they are to each other opponents. Yeah. Which I thought was helpful. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, not helpful, but like it, just, it was a good choice. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe helpful. Shit. I mean, let us know, listeners, if you thought it was helpful. <laughs> um, oh, I did. There was a, huh. Fuck. Where was the note? 
Oh, there was an interesting note. So, um, one, I do have a note that says that this movie is so New York slash possibly New Jersey. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, it just that's just how it felt. But I think we're supposed to, like, they don't mention where they are. Yeah, the one bit, uh, Tony Danza in the remake talks a lot about the Yankees when he goes to see the game. So, oh, yeah, I'm imagining it's New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that was an ad lib. <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't because his tickets oh, were Yankee shit. tickets. Ah, oh, shit. Okay, so it just it just wasn't meant. I guess it was just elaborated on in the yeah. ne- in the in the sequel. Um, and I think it the the whole bit of it being very fucking hot in the city. Yeah, I think that added um, not more stakes, but I guess something to make them just immediately more irritable. Yeah. And there's that, like, God, it. I remember when we were taking, um, when I was taking um, Introduction to Statistics or something like that. Like, I don't remember. It was a psych course. But um, when I was taking that and um, they, we, there was a, there was a thing that we talked about, which was that, um, that uh, when ice cream sales are doing the best, the murder rate also rises. which simply has to do with the fact that um, when it's hot outside, people, for some reason, tend to get more aggressive. Interesting. Yeah, I do not know why that is. Like, I know that there's a I know that there has been like not a documented reason, but like there's a general reason. I think that also being in like a situation that is unbearably hot, like you do get a lot shorter with people because you're trying to get to air conditioning. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like, I feel it. That makes yep. sense. Uh-huh. Also, it made, like, I don't know, watching people sweat is not a fun thing for me, though. No. That is, like, my one complaint with, like, both of these, but didn't affect my rating, but it did. Um, <laughs> like, there are certain movies where, like, watching people sweat actively makes me uncomfortable. Okay. This, yeah. Like, um, um, fuck, what is that movie? Um. The one, um, um, oh God, why am I spacing on his name? The one that Jordan Peele directed, the first one. Oh, Get Out. Thank you. Yeah, Get Out. Um, <laughs> that, watching that man sweat was so uncomfortable to me. And I, <laughs> but I think, I think that might have had more to do with the film itself just as a whole than watching him in particular sweat. Like, I think it was a movie thing. <laughs> also, because any time that he was sweating, it was because the situation was stressful. So it was just any time I saw him sweat, I just got uncomfortable because he was, I don't know, because like Freudian training, I just got very... <laughs> I got trained to see somebody sweat and make it and make it seem like things are going wrong. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that was yeah. But this one, I didn't have that issue um, <laughs> as much. Like it was it was just noticeable. Seven out of ten. Too much sweat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Could have done that, but didn't. Um <laughs> I don't know. It did. You're right, though. That it did make the. Uh, it did make make their. It was like higher stakes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like it, or it at least felt it. Higher tensions within the like room. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it also, like, a little bit seemed like it was about to cause, like, juror number nine to, like, have a stroke. Oh, God. <laughs> and it made me feel, like, kind of bad. I'm like, they put these actors, these old-ass men, in such yep. a hot-ass room. Yep. <laughs> like, that made me feel a type of way. But, like, that's, that's more just me having an issue with how directors treat actors sometimes. Uh-huh. Looking at you, Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Fucking Kubrick. Are we going to get to the birds? I don't know. That's Hitchcock. Oh, fuck. That... Didn't he direct it, though? No, wait. Hitchcock directed it. Fuck. I'm sorry. I forgot, how... <laughs> I, forgot that... I forgot that Hitchcock was a director. I thought he was a writer for a minute. You see what I... Like, that's just what my brain did. That's, that's fine. Um... Although we are going to get... What did he direct, though? We're, uh, we're getting Clockwork Orange on this list. That's what he did. Okay, there we go. Yeah, there Clock we go. Or, Clockwork Orange in 2001 around here, I'm pretty sure. Shit, okay. Yeah, that's why I forgot what he did. I'm like, I don't... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Fuck, I don't remember. Like, wait, did he do Citizen Kane or was that somebody else? Uh, that was not him. I'm pretty sure. Fuck if I know. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, the things that don't matter. <laughs> Who directed that movie that I don't think is on this list? Flash probably is because I think it was an important seminal movie at one point. Oh, The Shining's know. also on here from Kubrick. Oh, so, oh, uh, that's why. Yeah, there it is. That we that's get to talk more about directors uh, treating actors like shit when we get to that because uh, sh- he basically tortured Shelley Duvall. Mm-hmm. Oh, we will get to it. My God, we will get to it. Um, are we ready to do the ratings? Uh, sure. Yeah. So for me, the original gets an eight and the remake gets a nine just because the acting was just way more fucking solid. Fair enough. Um, I gave the original a 9.5 and I gave the, uh, the sequel a 10. Oh, cool. Yeah, this is, I fucking did it. I gave it a 10. It's truly because neither of them felt like... Neither of them felt long to me. True. True, true. Um, neither of them, like, felt... I don't know. Neither of them, like, felt forced. The only thing that, like, got on my nerves was the fact that people were still being so obstinate. Yeah. <laughs> like, just at a certain point, I was like, listen, reasonable doubt is... Like, reasonable doubt is so fucking easy to prove. Yes. Like, and... All it and all you have to have is one reasonable doubt. That's it. Just one reasonable doubt. And you have to declare that somebody is like and you have to at that point, because like if there is any reasonable thing that says that this person didn't do it, then you can't like that. You can't say that they did it because it's still possible that they didn't. It's like built into our system and important. (laughs) Which is why, like, when people accuse um, people who get off of a crime, like, who, like, get off, like, and when people say somebody got off on a technicality, that bothers me. Um, One, because whatever that thing is, is usually not a technicality. Like, it's actually something important that's saving lives. Um, (laughs) I don't know. It's a white perspective to assume that, like, a jury did something, like, horrifically wrong. Um, when in fact they were just doing their job. Yep. Yeah. But anyway, 
Um, I, I maintain I would like this movie to be shown um, to juries before they like go into trial, just because I feel like it it'll help people realize that whatever prejudices they have going into the room, like that those should be in theory left at the door so that you can evaluate based on um, based on the facts. Yeah. And um, but then also be able to examine the facts because sometimes facts are twisted. Uh huh. Mm hmm. Them twisting yeah. truth. Yeah. <laughs> these facts are being twisted all these different ways. And I'm like, bitch, that's the point. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Every time that line came up, because it came up more than once, too. Yep. <laughs> Where people are like, he's twisting what it means. And I was like, that's no. the point. It's like he's just saying like that that fact can mean three different things from different perspectives, and that's why you're in that room is to think about perspective. Oh yes, but yeah, it's important. I rec- highly recommend y'all if you're listening and you haven't seen it, see this movie, especially prior to going on jury duty. Oh yes. <laughs> oh man. All right, so that's it for us for this one. Yes, um, it is. This next one oh, I is am... apparently going to ruin me according to like the tweets I... the tweets, the messages I saw earlier. I already watched it. Uh so just fun fact, guys. Next episode of Schindler's List. Um <laughs> oh. I already know I'm gonna be upset, which is why I didn't watch it last night. I could I... have watched it last night. Oh, I had it's... time. I <laughs> sobbed so hard. It is. Oh, I don't want to get into much of my opinion on that one because we are going to save it for that episode. Mm-hmm. But holy fuck! I'm so I'm very excited to like talk about it. Like I genuinely am. Like um, I like I like, haven't seen it yet, so I can't. <laughs> I watched it. I watched it like hours ago, and I'm still like emotionally fatigued. Oh, <laughs> God. Yeah. No that 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 holds up. That makes sense. That's, oh yeah. That's what people have told me about it, so I'm ex- I'm excited feels like again the wrong word, but yes. like <laughs> I I I will do my my duty to this podcast and I shall watch this movie despite yeah. knowing that it's gonna fuck with my mental health, but it's fine. I mean, like it. <laughs> Spoiler: It's good, mm. but it's also uh... a lot. It is a yeah. lot. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Totally. It totally makes sense to me. All right. So um, tune in next week for that. Um, now, uh, we have social media, our social media. Um, on social media, we are uh, wannabe film, or sorry, film buffs pod on, on Twitter. Um, and you can find us on Facebook at wannabe film buffs. Um, yeah. We are also on Discord, um, because I made a Discord for discussion purposes and have done nothing with it, but it it exists. Um, come join us and say hello. I would love to talk to people about these things. Um, the link for that is in the show notes. Um, you can, if you check out our website, all of our like subscribe links are immediately visible and listed, so mm-hmm. you should have no issue uh, finding the show. I highly recommend um, Radio Public uh, because 
your listens on Radio Public eventually translate to money for us. Um, so, and also it's a good platform and, and a good system, and um, it works well. So I recommend it. Um, and uh, if you liked us, tell a friend and get people to listen. Um, oh yes, tell your friends. We, we want listeners. Yes, especially during this fucking quarantine when y'all don't have Christ. shit else to do. <laughs> oh my god, can I? I am a. I am a. If if school wasn't starting online Tuesday, mm. um, I would be a few days away from speaking to inanimate objects. I mean. I feel like I'm already there. I, <laughs> oh, but no. that's more because I I've been talking to my Nintendo Switch, which does not, it, for no reason other than Animal Crossing. I will just oh my god, be Animal talking Crossing. about Animal Thank Crossing. Thank God, Animal Crossing came out when it did. I don't even understand why I'm finding it fascinating, but I am. It's so oh, weird. Oh, JV, we need to exchange friend codes. We haven't done that yet. Yeah, I realized that the other day when I was trying to fly off to a goddamn island and realized I had no fucking nobody to fucking visit. (laughs) 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 Oh my god. Anyway, um, so, uh, yes, we might post those friend codes on social media. I don't fucking know. I was trying to tie it back. Oh, Um, we fucking should. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it sounds like a good thing to do. Um, and uh, we hope that you all are doing well. Um, oh, also leave us a five-star review if you can on wherever you can. Um, but, like, truly, we hope you all are doing well. Um, if Absolutely. you need people to talk to, um, I, fuck, I know I'm not doing shit 90% of the time. So fucking, like, hop on Discord and fucking talk to me and shit. I haven't been on Twitter in, like, four days, so <laughs> there's that. Um, intentionally to clarify, like I have it blocked, so I can't go on it. Um, for reasons, but I, that doesn't stop me from tweeting. Um, doesn't stop me from tweeting out the uh, show information, which is cool. Um, yeah. Uh, stay tuned for some merch items. I mean, by the time y'all hear this, um, our merch store will probably be up. Uh, so you know, go give it a look, see, uh, and get something cute. Put some cute shit on your body. It'll be nice. Um, I say this mainly because the artist has already gotten back to me with like just like a rough outline. Oh. It, it is real fucking cute. And I'm also definitely commissioning a second one. So, yes. <laughs> and uh, the 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 logo by now will probably have changed a little bit. Um, and, and there will be a little friend there. There, there'll be a little friend and, and he'll be in the logo and it is great and he'll be on the merch and I'm so excited ah. um does that axolotl by the way in that room have a name I don't know okay so we have to like name our, Ascol- our, our axolotl mascot <laughs> well if and when we get more than Maybe six visit uh, listeners of this recording. <laughs> As of this recording, we, maybe we could hold right. a Twitter vote. <laughs> we could do that, or we could just ask our we could just ask our friends on Facebook. Yeah, we but... can simply ask our we can simply ask the group chat. They'll come up with a name. 
Meanwhile, we should ask them to listen to our podcast. Didn't we? I'm pretty sure I gave them the link. I don't know. I, I think. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure <laughs> somebody's listening because we have like over 40 downloads. So we do. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, our download numbers aren't like they're they're decently good given that like <laughs> they're they're pretty decent given that I haven't done a whole lot as far as the promotion of this goes. Wait, um, wait we have we have 14 followers on social media, but we have over 40 downloads. Yeah, and uh, that roughly about that many subscribers, I believe. Yeah, it's no. I looked at the numbers and was confused, but honestly, like I'm, I'm pleased. I'm just confused. Um, but apparently, we apparently we're being listened to. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So um, that uh, that's fun and uh, and exciting, and um, so yeah, like again, if y'all have a suggestion for the name of our axolotl, uh. Let us know. Our axolotl, like it's our pet. Um, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, a group pet, and it's a very weird looking animal. And um, we will <laughs> never see him again, <laughs> unfortunately. I, oh my God. Oh no. Is he. he no. Campus he is closed him. for the rest of the year, and it's my last semester at that oh, yeah, school. We can't record what? that I anymore. Mean, that's true. I was like, what do you mean he died? And I was like, I mean, I suppose <laughs> he didn't die. He'll be fine. He uh, he will never die. Okay, oh, you hear oh me? God. He will okay. <laughs> oh God, that's that's where I'm at, listeners. That's where I personally am at. Well, that um, just means one of us has to get a pet axolotl. That will never be me. Let me tell you. Um, oh my I love JVY. them. <laughs> I love them. I cannot care for that level of animal. Like I'm sure it, it's mostly like easy to do, but also animals that live in like tanks and in water. That's a hard pass for me. See our um, Batman Begins episode to figure <laughs> out why. <laughs> so like even if it is not a fish, that it it is it is too fish like for me to care for it. Oh my god. <laughs> But I do love them. They're so precious. And, yes, and it'll have and, to be me. Exactly. You can handle it. <laughs> you can handle it. You're better with animals than I am. <laughs> so there we are. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So if y'all are out there living your life, um, be well. Do as many good things as you possibly can while also remaining in your um it, um, it not necessarily in your house because you could also like go outside and have a breath of fresh air and then walk back in your damn house. But like, um, during the era of social distancing, do as much good as you possibly can, and stay safe out there and turn up to some seal. Yes, I honestly oh, forget where that joke came from. The seal skeleton. <laughs> that was in the same room. <laughs> it was because I was looking around grasping for a thing to say and I looked at the seals I looked over and there was the seal skeleton and then I remembered that seal exists. Oh, oh that was that what what episode was that? Was that the Godfather? Yeah. One of the three. Yeah. <laughs> oh and then we and oh, and then we found out that seal is that that the seal song that everybody knows was on one of the Batman soundtracks. 
which I was like, oh my god, it which all ties was together. The next episode. <laughs> Fuck me, that was wild. But yeah, no. So um, I, 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 yeah, turn up to some seal, and I will absolutely be listening to that song in like twelve minutes. Oh um, my god. <laughs> anyway, bye, y'all. <laughs>